If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Prep Radio on time, on target, and it has been quite a few years actually since we've had Dr. Dale Comstock on the podcast, uh, former Delta Force operator, and the reason we're having Dale on today is pretty interesting. If you listened to last episode and you saw this article, a Middle East monarchy hired ex, uh, American ex-soldiers to kill its political enemies, this could be the future of war by Ram Rostin. We touched on it last episode yeah. and, you know, Dale's involvement as, as yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I read the article and, um, I was able to kind of put two and two together. And I, I think some other folks were as well. And, um, you know, I, I just reached out to Dale and I said, Hey man, if you want to you know, tell your side of the story, you know, our door is definitely open. Um, and, uh, Dale, we interviewed previously, uh, way back episodes 22 and 24, yeah. I believe. And, um, Dale talked to us a lot at length about, you know, his military career, uh, you know, the Kurt Muse, uh, hostage rescue operation in 1989 when he was with the unit, um, you know, stories from when he was a paramilitary contractor working for our government, uh, in Afghanistan, um, just really interesting stuff. So if you want to get to know more about Dale, about the man, about the soldier, uh, you can go back and listen to those podcasts um, because we're not going to really rehash all that stuff in this podcast. We're going to kind of jump right in to more recent events in Yemen. And um, with Dale, with that, I kind of wanted to turn over to you, Dale. Um, and, you know, I guess the beginning of this story is, you know, when you first started getting phone calls about this contract and, and maybe if you want to take it up from there, um, and we walk people through the story. Yeah. So, you know, this was, I can't say it was a total surprise to me. I, the story coming out, I knew that it was in the works. Um, I actually just found out about it maybe around three weeks ago. Um, this reporter had tried to contact me and, uh, he was actually contacting some of the other guys from the team. And then, uh, he, he tried to get a hold of me and I've, you know, I kind of, uh, screen my phone calls because I get a lot of weird calls sometimes. So I was at the airport and I got this phone call. I said, oh, let me check it out, you know, see what this guy wants. And uh, it was a reporter. And so um, and right away he started off, he introduced himself and he started off with, hey, I'm writing a, a, a story about, uh, um, you know, some activities in Yemen that you were involved in, blah, blah, blah. And then right away, the you know, the alarms went off in my head. And uh, I quickly said, hey, I thought you were calling me about a movie opportunity or something. I got to get on an airplane and talk to you later. And I hung up. And, uh, and he kept texting me. And I didn't want to talk about it. And, uh, but anyway, so I called some of the other guys. And uh, 
they also had received the same calls and as well they didn't uh you know they didn't talk to the guy <clears throat> they had nothing to say nothing to contribute basically <clears throat> the guys that i worked with um you know all prior military all of them you know um you know, respect the idea of uh, maintaining OPSEC and security. You know, it's, it's ingrained in most of us. Unfortunately, not everybody, apparently, uh, from those articles, yeah. seems to subscribe to that uh, philosophy. So uh, we were a little outdone by this whole thing. And I didn't know if it was going to go anywhere or not because nobody had been talking to him. Um, but little did I know, Isaac was actually talking to him. And, and so my but take one, on One of is, the former SEALs who was um, on the contract with you. Right. So, yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll, lay, I'll lay, sure. lay out his story here in a second. Um, so that's how this whole thing got got going. And uh, I've been just basically just kind of sitting back and bracing for the uh, for the storm. And uh, and it, it broke loose yesterday. And uh, and of course, you know, all of a sudden I'm getting these phone calls from people that uh, recognize my image um, or they recognize a credential. Somehow they determined it was me. Um Clearly, Jack, you call me. I'm like, damn, who, who doesn't know anymore? I got Hollywood <laughs> producers calling me, and they're, they're not asking me or asking my management, t- management team, was that deal? They're just coming out and saying, that's Dale Comstock. Um, you know, so I guess I'm not hard to recognize. I don't know, even though my face was blurry, but respect the stash. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, we I know you. Know, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but I was definitely outdone by that. And, and here's the here's one of the main issues I have with it all is one, this Isaac Gilmore, the SEAL, never conferred with me, um, you know, about any of this or, or any other guys. He didn't. We didn't have any clue this was going to happen, right? Um, what he should have done out of respect for us, our privacy, um, you know, and our security is at least contact us. You know, this is what I'm planning on doing. Um, what's your take on it? Never even gave us that courtesy. It, basically, he shared all our phone numbers, our name, everything with us. Um, and, uh, you know, to me, that was pretty underhanded. And only thing I can surmise the reason he did it, if, if you read the story, you know, he mentioned that, uh, well, you know, he was afraid the story is eventually going to break anyways. He wanted to get ahead of it. Well, you know, I call BS on that one, too. Right. Because there was only four guys on that operation that knew all the details that was that were laid out. And uh, and so as long as all four of us kept our mouths shut, nobody would have ever known about it. So th- what he's trying to do, and I already know he's trying to do this because I'm getting my phone calls. I'm Look, he doesn't know I'm pretty well connected in Hollywood. So he's out there marketing this, you know, um, trying to sell the stories what he's trying to do to make a movie. This guy's out to make a buck, a lot of bucks, okay? And uh, <clears throat> I find it pretty irritating that he's trying to do that and he's trying to do it off everybody else's back. I'm getting ready to, 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 to uh, tell you a little bit more about this guy's character and who he is not. Okay, he's painted a very uh, a heroic picture of himself in this story. And uh, to tell you the truth, um, I mean, this guy was sad sack for all purposes. I mean, he was a total, I mean, he had no respect from anybody. He was lazy. Um, he didn't know what the hell he was doing. And there's a whole lot of other things that were going on there. But uh, so let me just start a little bit about his background. Okay, and I didn't know this until after we were already downrange and another seal came on board and he said, Hey, by the way, this is, this is his story. And, uh, so Isaac did mention in there that he had shot one of his uh, fellow seals. Um, what he didn't mention was, um, it was a blank fire exercise and he loaded live ammunition into it, uh, nice. into an M249 saw machine gun and, sh- and mowed down oh, one shit. of his dudes. Okay. Then he actually tried to pin it on another guy. 
Um, it could, of course, he didn't get away with it. They, they revoked the Polis tried and they booted him from the Navy. Okay, that's really what happened. Okay, and that's just for starters. This guy's got a history of DROG behind him. Um, you know, I got a call from another company, said he was basically um, got fired, was out drinking, took their company van, hauled ass to the airport, dropped the van off somewhere and disappeared. And didn't tell anybody. I mean, I can go on and on with, with these stories. Um, you know, so to begin with, you know, he's got uh, a sordid past. And uh, it wasn't obviously apparent to me in the beginning. Um, but when I was out in the field with him is when I started to notice, OK, this guy is not uh, he's not uh, he's definitely not leadership material. Now, apparently, Isaac was partners with Abraham. Now, I know Abraham for a long time. I've worked with Abraham. Um, Abraham Golan, uh, you know, and Abraham Golan. And I've worked with him down in Mexico, Hong Kong, South Africa. And uh, and so he's the one who actually pulled me in on this operation. So. And for the audience, I'm I'm sorry to interject here. I'm just for the audience. Could you give some background on who Abraham is? Yeah. So so Abraham is um, a a Jewish Hungarian, um, former from Hungary. Um, He was in Israel and he ended up leaving Israel. Had there's I don't know what all the issues were there, but uh, he ended up working for the French Foreign Legion. He was a major with them. And then uh, he was involved in a bunch of other uh, other projects, I guess, was invited uh, to the United States and, and awarded his citizenship. And uh, and I know there's a lot more in his backstory that's kind of actually pretty interesting. Um, but anyways, he started uh, Spear Operations Group, you know, and he's done well for himself. You know, he really has. And I really don't have anything very negative to say about him, um, you know, because at least he was honest with me in the beginning and he let me know what his limitations were and, uh, and you know, and, and that why he needed me to be a part of this program. So he had called me, I'm, I was flying back from Indonesia and he kept calling me and, and we got to talking on the phone. He said, he really needs me for a project. And, uh, and he wouldn't tell me exactly what it was over the phone. And then finally, you know, he revealed, revealed it was security related. And I said, well, you know, Abraham, um, this might be a conflict of interest because I have started my own company in Indonesia and I'm in the same space as you. And I'm, you know, I'm really focusing on building this business. And uh, he said, just think about it, think about it, think about it. You know, and then he got another phone call a couple of days later. Um, he, uh, he bought me a plane ticket to San Diego. He offered me um, a pretty large sum of money uh, for my time. And uh, he just wanted he wanted to talk to me in person. So I said, OK. Now, I'm actually kind of indebted to him for some other things that he did. Um, be honest with you, he's actually a pretty good guy. Um, and he was very generous, and he has been very generous to me. So um, I kind of felt like, in a way, I owed him uh, a favor. So I went out there, had heard of what he had to say. I sat down. That's when I met this other guy, Isaac. And uh, they gave me the briefing on what this uh, what this operation was, what it entailed, and so forth and so on. Well, what and, what uh, was that at the time? What was your I had a private conversation with Abraham. Sorry, I was just asking. You know, when you received that initial briefing, what was your understanding of you know the mission and, and the task at hand? Well, um, I, what I knew was we we're going to go to the Emirates, um, and the way I understood it was we we're going to go there. And my part in particular was to be the strategic advisor to um, to Abraham, and so. Basically, that's why I said, you know, at least he knew his left and right limits. And he asked me to come and be his basically uh, strategic advisor, um, even though his partner was Isaac. Um, he revealed to me that he didn't have confidence in Isaac, um, but they were partners 
And, uh, and, and so Isaac had his role, which was more in the uh, business development schmoozing arena than anything else. But he certainly didn't have the uh, tactical or strategic competence to run in this kind of an operation. And, and so Abraham asked me to be the strategic advisor to him. And basically, he, he delegated his uh, command to me um, so that I could oversee and operate and run operations and manage everything. And so the, part, of the, uh, part of the mission was to conduct um, training for the Emirati forces um, and help them um, in, their, uh, in their effort to c- conduct, you know, prosecute targets. And so that's basically the understanding. And, and basically I was you know, told that once we go into the training program, um, he, wanted, he was, wanted to hand the contract off to me because he really wasn't interested. I say Abraham really wasn't interested in, in training anymore so much as the other stuff that he was involved in. So I asked him, I said, look, man, I said, I've got to go back to Indonesia in a few days. Um, I don't think I can do this evolution. How about you know the, the next go around I come, I come along? And, and his answer was, no, he goes, if you don't do this one, I can't use you for the next one. He says, I got to have you for this one. I didn't understand why that was important until later on. Um, so I said, okay, look, I'm going to go. I got to go back to Indonesia, um, basically collect myself, tell my girlfriend I'm going to go do a job, you know, and, and I'll be back, you know, whenever. And we weren't even supposed to be gone very long, I, two weeks, three weeks tops, was, you know, and then we rotate out. So anyways, the, the whole story about, you know, so I ended up flying back from Indonesia. Um, I went to uh, New York. I linked up at the airport, I mean, at the hotel, and um, and I, I didn't know who was going to be there. And, you know, next thing I know, all the French foreign legionnaires were there. Um, you know, the seals were a couple of seals were there. Abraham was there. And we basically, it was like a movie, a scene out of Ronin in the movie. And we ended up in a hotel room with, um, you know, basically Abraham telling them what the, what tells all what the mission was going to be. And, uh, and at that point he gave everybody the opportunity to walk away if they chose to do so. And they could keep the money that already, they already received, which was pretty substantial. Um, everybody was on board. And then from there, the next night we left um, from uh, Teterboro, uh, basically the private airport. And then as a, as the story you know, alludes to, we flew off in a private jet and ended up landing somewhere in a remote airfield um, out in the desert. And then we transloaded and went to another country and then transloaded and then ended up finally in, uh, in Aden. So that's how it all kind of started. Now, um, there's a lot more details to this thing. And... Uh, and so what I, what I really want to make clear, though, um, to everybody out that's out there listening and they're reading into this thing, okay, not everything is what it seems or the way it was articulated. For a lot of things, a lot of things get lost in translation. You know, you've got one guy or two guys telling a reporter, you know, their side of the story, um, and then the reporter's interpreting it, and he's writing it on paper, and, and just things didn't quite add up exactly like they happened. So for for clarity, what I want to say is this. Um, we were not a gang of murders, okay? We were sanctioned. Um, I worked as a subcontractor for, as, as the rest of us did, a subcontractor for Spear Operations Group. Um, they had the responsibility to make sure that, you know, all the T's were crossed and all the I's were dotted with as far as all the, the legal things are concerned, like State Department, ITARs, whatever. Um, so, and I was told that we were good to go because... The Emirates were part of a coalition and include the United States government. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I really didn't question, you know, any of that. 
and uh, I was confident that uh, it's all on the up and up. Um, we arrived. We got the you know same thing. We got the, the actually we we flew right into Aden. We didn't even check into Emirates um, anywhere. So we flew right into Aden. When we arrived, um, I met up with the uh, an intel officer, um, and basically he issued us all this garbage. If you want to call them weapons, um, stuff that he bought off the black market and. Uh, and, you know, there's a story behind that. He was actually given a lot of money to buy his U.S.-made equipment, and he ended up probably, he probably put most of it in his pocket and went downtown and bought us a bunch of garbage and handed it to us. In fact, the conversation I had with him when we brought all the equipment and all the weapons laid them out, you know, there was just pieces and parts and rusty garbage, and, and I looked at him and I go, this is totally unsatisfactory. I said, this is what we expect. I said, I don't have anything here that's really operational. And... Uh, and I remember he looked at me, um, and he didn't like the idea that we were even there as, uh, you know, special forces coming in to do what his military, his army couldn't do, right? That's the reason we came there is because the Emirati Army doesn't have a special, special forces, special operations capability. And so basically that's what we, we're going to fill that niche for them. And, uh, and so I could already tell he didn't really like that idea. And when I told him that I had a real problem with, with the weapons he gave us, you know, I didn't know how he expected us to do anything with that. He looked at me and goes, so what you're telling me is you can't do the mission then, right? <laughs> and I said, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll do the mission if it means I had to use these weapons as baseball bats, but I can do it, you know. <laughs> you want to play that game with me. Um, so I wasn't going to give him that assignment. I go, no, you can do it, you know, and run us off. Um, that was kind of a matter of pride, I guess, if you will. Um, but anyway, so... You know, getting down to it, all right, we had we had our missions. My job as a game was strategic advisor. One, make sure that uh, operationally everything was sound, we were being safe, uh, we had good security. I trained the guys on the weapon systems. I'm a light and heavy weapons uh, sergeant from the Special Forces. Um, I, I did all the demolitions work. Um, my job was to basically ensure that uh, tactically we could work together as a team in the field and also to, to uh, develop strategy for whatever mission that um, came down the pipe. Um, at no time did we murder anybody. At no time did we shoot people, anybody, any uh, innocent people. Nobody was hurt or killed uh, in any of our operations. Um, and I don't think Isaac made that very clear. Um, he kind of hemmed and hawed, like, well, you know, maybe it could have happened, but, you know, no, it didn't happen, okay? Um, we were not that up. We, we weren't that crazy and that wild that we weren't, uh, you know, didn't have that uh, circle of awareness to know what the hell was going on and what was shooting at. In the, in the um, article, it says that anyway, you guys so, conducted several assa- actual assassinations. So you're saying that that never happened? I'm sorry. In, in the article, it, it just go, it goes on to say that you guys assassinated yeah. people. Um, you know, there were some successful assassinations, and, and you're saying that that didn't happen. Okay, so my question then to back. Okay, the word assassin. Okay, it's got very negative negative connotation. Sure. When we were shooting HPTs in Iraq and Afghanistan, were we assassinating them, or were we were we taking out HPTs? We, we kind of were. <laughs> we kind of were. <laughs> were HPTs? Okay, they were high value targets. They belonged. They were part of terrorist organizations, um, and and they were bad guys. Plain and simple. Um, you can call them a political figure if you want, but you know what. Uh, <laughs> You know, you go to Solder City, and what's his, what's his bucket? You know, uh, the imam there, Solder. Is he a political target, or is he is he also a war fighter? The way I see it, you know, 
I'm not here just to shoot, you know, guys with guns. I'm here to fight our enemies. That's what it comes down to. That's what we all went there for. The truth be told, I think most of us went there because we saw an opportunity to take the flight to the bad guys, um, be the terrorist, terrorist, so to speak. And, um, yeah, the money was okay, but uh, for the, the risk that we were taking, it was never enough. Okay, we didn't have big mill behind us to support us. We didn't have a QRF. We didn't have a medic. We had nothing. Okay, we had, we had four dudes in the street with their cock in their hands and their weapons, and that was it, you know. Um, it was us, us or it was them. But we had a mission. And, um, again, I want to make sure everybody understands yeah. that we were not out trying to just murder people and just shooting people randomly or anything like that. We had targets um, that we were vetted through their intelligence service. Uh, we also vetted them through through our capabilities, what we had. Um, I have a background in operations intelligence from special forces. Um, I have a pretty good understanding how IPB works, intelligence preparation of the battlefield. Um, we worked that and, and uh, we made sure that we had PID the target and that we that we contained that target. And that's the only person that we uh, we went after. So in this so in this in this story in this in this um, flare footage that you know everybody now gets to see, which yeah. I'm kind of stunned that he would even. Um, publish that and the drone uh, footage for a lot of reasons, but but uh, to put that out there, I just man, that's just that's just crazy. But I know what they were they were thinking, and uh, they were, what they were thinking was, if you look in the footage, you'll see um, an MRAP in there, okay, a military vehicle. Um, and by the way, it was actually a military drone that was filming it, so it wasn't like a bunch of dudes were out there, you know, murdering people, you know, just rogue in another country we were actually had the support of the military behind us okay um the reality is they couldn't do it by themselves they just didn't have that capability and, and so we did and we what we did is we tried to we actually trained with these guys we worked with these guys um we did drills with these guys i say these guys i'm talking about the emirati soldiers that were in support of us um we were functioning as a unit and we were basically acting as advisors to them um, as far as that, that footage is concerned, um, and this is where I have a little bit of an issue is, um, so Isaac states that, uh, the whole thing was botched up, which I call bullshit. Um, here's what really went down. That vehicle stopped in front of the, the target building. At that point, we had just rolled through, um, you know, about 500 yards worth of Al Qaeda. I mean, literally all over the streets, walking by, just trying to peer into our tinted windows. I mean, they were within spitting distance of us. They were everywhere. Al Qaeda is actually the action arm for that Al Isla group. Okay, Al Isla group. You know, they call themselves a political party and all about peace. And again, I call it bullshit. Um, they use Al Qaeda as their as their basically as their watchdogs um, and their pit bulls. Um, and they were everywhere, everywhere. So. When we got in front of the target building, we had a driver. His, the driver was actually a major from the Emirati Army, an intel officer. Okay, His only job was to drive the vehicle. Um, that was it. And then once the car stopped, the vehicle stopped, he was to get out, run forward down the road, mount on MR, another MRAP that was waiting down range, and then and be secure. Well, as soon as he gets out, he gets shot in the damn foot. Okay, We're already taking small arms fire right off the bat. Um, everybody else bails out of the vehicle. From the target compound? Isaac got out. I'm sorry? You were taking fire from the target building? We were getting fire from, uh, actually from the, the direction we had just come from, from behind us. I got you. Okay. You know, it obviously looks very suspicious. Here we got this, this um, $350,000 level seven 
uh, Toyota Land Cruiser cruising, coming down the road at about <laughs> three to five miles an hour. And, uh, you know, when you're driving somebody's neighborhood, they know that car belongs there or not. So that's why we're getting all the weird looks. Um, and as soon as we got out, they were on us. Um, for whatever reason, you know, they just, we started taking fire. Um, Isaac was a, got, got on his side of the vehicle and started engaging. He, you know, he claims that uh, the, uh, the gunner in the back, another SEAL with a MAG-58, opened fire. That's not true at all. Um, Isaac was out of the vehicle first. He started shooting. If you look at the footage, you can see he's shooting like at the second floor at the wall. It's like he's just spraying in the air, right? Um, I don't know what the hell he was shooting at. Then the tailgate came down, and that's when the, the other SEAL came out with the MAG-58 and started putting suppressive fire down range. By that time, I had already dismounted and ran over to the target building. Um, so right then and there, it's bullshit. Um, nothing was botched up. We started taking, we right away started taking small arms fire um, as just as the door started cracking. So, you know, you can argue any way you want that it was self-defense or whatever, but uh, um, it wasn't like we just got out creeping along and then, you know, some guy in the back of the vehicle started shooting. That's not what happened. Um, yeah, I went to the I went to the breach point, and this is where things get even get even weirder. So I was not supposed to go to the breach point alone. Um, I was supposed to go go. Um, both Isaac and Abraham Golan were supposed to come with me to the breach point, and and pull security because basically my hands are full. And uh, I run across the street, and if you look in the footage, you see one guy running down the street like just mm -hmm. take off running. Like where the hell is he going yep. by himself? Um, and then you see the other guy never left the vehicle, which was Isaac, by the way. And uh, he was stating that uh, his weapon was malfunctioning, but he had another AK-47 in the seat right next to him. All he had to do is go down and switch it out. And he was he would have been back in a fight. Um, but he never left. He never left the you know the the vehicle. He stayed right there with the vehicle while I was out there, you know, hanging it out there by myself. I tried to enter the building. My mission was to go in there and eliminate the threat. Um, that was it, you know, and I tried to go in and I was going to go in and basically be as surgical as I could and, and get in, but they had locked the doors on me. They were on the inside and locked the doors. And that's when I started hearing gunfire also from coming from inside. So I don't know, you know, at this point what was going on, but they were probably thinking, holy cow, you know, the, the boogeyman's outside and they started to panic as well. Um, so by this time, you know, we had a, we had a gunfight going on and, uh, I basically placed a charge, uh, uh, an ID in the front of the door, one to cover my withdrawal, two to take the door out. Hopefully, you know, um, I would get, get the target. We knew who was in the building, by the way. Um, we had, we had actually had a human on the target, watching the target. Okay, they reported back to us. They, they, they told us who went in the building, how many. Um, it was not some kind of a large meeting. Um, in fact, this guy was pretty crafty in that every night he laid his head somewhere else. He never slept in the same place twice. We spent a lot of time chasing him around, advising different strategies to to contain him and and uh, and, uh, and and take him out. That night, he actually went to his office and he was going to bed down there that night. He went there and he had his he had another guy with him, an advise his assistant, if you will, um, and, and he had two of his bodyguards with him. They would always post themselves out in front of the the door to the front, and I'm pretty sure that they were standing right behind the door. Um, so they were there and we had the drone helicopter up filming this whole thing the entire time. Okay. Those guys never left that building ever. Okay. That's the reason we spun up. We went down there and we, and we executed, um, no, and we kept, and we got last minute Intel updates. Yeah. He's still in the building. Yes. He's still in the building. It's a go right up until we pull up to in front of the vehicle, uh, the building. Um, 
So there's some, you know, again, there's some inconsistencies in this in the original story. But I think it's, you know, it, it's no, it's worth noting that uh, things didn't quite play out that way. It wasn't botched, and it, and it wasn't like we're a bunch of inept idiots out there just kind of winging it. Um, it was calculated. It was planned. Uh, we were being responsible enough to make sure that we weren't going to hurt anybody else and that we were only going after the target. Now, that target, the guys that were with him were not angels, okay? They were not just innocent dudes hanging out with him. They were also part of his his little uh, entourage. They were armed. And, uh, in fact, the next day on the news, his assistant came out all bandaged up and got on the news and said that, you know, there was attempted assassination on, on his principal and, you know, he got away, but uh, blah, 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 you know. So maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. We didn't know at that time what happened. So, um, I, I mean, tactically you know, speaking, Dale, um, what, what was the logic behind putting the breach charge on the door? You're saying that wasn't the intent was not to kill everyone inside. And then there was the second explosion, allegedly the, the sedan that you guys had driven in. Can you just explain how, how that worked out, what the plan was there? Yeah, so the plan was actually the breach the breach the building okay and it was a, a directional charge okay so it wasn't really an omnidirectional charge it was a directed a directed blast into the building um this this building when i say that it was really a small office space that was probably um maybe 12 feet across wide and maybe 30 feet deep um with one little um alcove on the right side of it, it was very small office space okay um Maybe this guy must have been in a little, little alcove or something and was protected from the blast. I don't know. But the idea was to send that directed blast through the door to take him out because they had locked the door. Now, initially, I would have went in there and, uh, and you know, so I could confirm that I got the guy, but it wasn't working out that way. So I had to, I had to fall back on the contingency of using the ID. The reason the vehicle got blown up, um, I was told we're not going to take that vehicle off the objective. Why? Um, I'm not really sure why that, what the logic was. My, my assumption is the MRAPs, you know, I don't know. I, I don't really know why. I was told we're going to leave that vehicle behind. We can't take it out. But it has to be destroyed completely. I said, fine. So I built the ID for that vehicle as well. So I blew it up and burned it to the ground. Um, it also had a, um, a delayed fuse on it. And it gave me time to, to get out of the area and uh, and get on the vehicle and, and roll away. So that's why we had the two charges. One was for the target door. The other one was for the vehicle. As it turns out, the next day, um, the local news reported that there was a vehicle bomb um, that blew up in front of this office. And, and uh, you know, they, they didn't have any idea what was really going on, which was fine. That's what we wanted. We didn't want them to know really what happened. Um, so anyways, that's kind of how it played out that night. Um it actually happened very quickly. Um, we got off the objective uh, in pretty fast time. And by the time, time we did get off, which you don't see in the footage, that uh, a lot of bad guys started converging onto that point. And by the way, um, that place was just crawling with Al-Qaeda. Um, and, you know, there's talk about the Muslim Brotherhood and Al-Islam. You know, they're really a good guy, blah, blah, blah. Well, actually, Al-Islam is part of the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood had built an entire apartment complex for Al-Qaeda in Aden. Um, I've got video of their headquarters, and it's, it's a pretty good-sized building, um, about four stories high. So they were everywhere. Um, and we actually went to the airport, which we were going to interdict um, this the target on the airport. There's one flight every day, and we got intel that this guy might catch this flight. Um, 
So we went there and did a, a close target reconnaissance of the airport, the checkpoints, and we're basically looking for, you know, um, an area to ambush. And so when we drove into the, uh, through the checkpoint to get into the airport, well, guess who's manning the, air, the checkpoint? It's not the Emirati Army. It was al-Qaeda, literally manning the checkpoints going into the airport. We get into the airport, the Emirati Army occupied it, okay? Well, it's, it, I mean, it's the weirdest damn thing. You know, we got bad guys guarding an airport with the good guys in it. Okay, and so the, the Emiratis had pretty much um, free travel, and uh, and reason why is they had they got an ID really bad in, in one of the gates. Um, hit with a hard BBID, um, killed a lot of guys, and uh, and they kind of like they kind of like they kind of like backed off of their operations almost completely, and it was almost like an unwritten truce that uh, you don't bother us, we won't bother you type thing. And so right. they pretty much were able to drive freely down the roads. And um, and I've seen this happen before as well. I've been uh, conduced in Afghanistan with the Germans. You know, the Germans were walking around, but we were eating local restaurants unarmed. And I'm like, why not? Well, you know, they won't hurt us. And I'm like, man, there's like lots of bad guys here. Um, you know, it's, it's, man, I hate to say it, but there's a lot of people, a lot of countries out there that are just... Uh, you know, they're placating the enemy just to save their ass. To they're really deal with the devil. Game of warfare for any reason. Um, but anyways, um, so, you know, we the, the mission went off and we recovered and then, uh, you know, continued on from there with our other projects, so to speak. Um, for all intents and purposes, you know, was a mission a success? I think I think execution was a success. Um, I just think that under the circumstances, um you know, nothing went really wrong other than not everybody did their job the way they were supposed to in, in the support. Because I, I went to the door by myself. I shouldn't have had to go to that door by myself. I decided I'm going to go ahead and enter it by myself, and I just couldn't get to it. Um, we could have probably executed that and got the target, um, but it didn't, it didn't play out that way. Um, other than that, you know, we had a bunch of follow-on missions, some other things we got involved in, um, and then uh, we, we did another evolution. We, we pulled out and came back a couple of weeks later to, to pick up where we left off, and, and things just kind of got a little uh, kind of got a little slow at that point. And I had a little issue, um, particularly with Isaac. Uh, um, you know, <clears throat> this, is, this has been my problem, and every guy on the team uh, will support me on this. I've, you know, I'm keeping their names out of this right now, but I remember in a show of solidarity. Um, Isaac was a terrible leader. Okay, he makes it sound like, you know, he was, you know, the, the hero. He was actually the zero. He was the weakest link on the team. He was out sunbathing every day. He was telling the boys, getting him in his coffee. I mean, he was treating grown men, soldiers, okay, um, to go fetch his coffee. Um, the guy was, he was rat holding, uh, uh, we would get, sometimes we get a little box of Red Bull in the morning from other uh, cooks and, uh, and fruit. He would rat hole all that crap in his, in his hooch. Um, you know, I mean, this, I mean, this guy did not show any leadership traits. And when I called him out on it one morning, I walked up to him while he sunbathed and him and Abraham, I said, listen, guys, you're paying me a lot of money to be your strategic advisor. So I'm going to give you some advice. Okay. And they kind of looked up at me and I said, yeah, so here's how I'm going to start lead by example. And I said, right now, you guys are not leading by example. You're out here laying on your ass sunbathing. You know, you got boys fetching your 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 coffee, and uh, and uh, I didn't appreciate it, and and they didn't appreciate it. And then I told them, I said, you know what? I know you're running a business. You know, I know you're worried about the bottom line. I said, but when we get in a firefight out there in the field, nobody cares about your fire your bottom line. Not one guy here is going to be thinking about your bottom line um, and protecting it. They're going to be thinking about getting their ass out of this jam. 
And I said, if you keep treating them like shit birds here in the, in the camp, when you get out there, um, you know what? <laughs> they may not be there for you. And need him. Yeah. I said, and and that and the shocking part was Isaac looked up at me and he goes, "Well, I disagree." Um, the bottom line is important, and this still is a business. I go, man, you just don't get it, dude. Uh, we're not making widgets here. This is not a football team or a baseball team or a basketball team. Um, you know, this is war fighting stuff, and that attitude is wrong. And so that was kind of that was his mo the entire time. Um, and then make a long story short, at towards the end. Me and another SEAL literally just walked out of the desert, just walked away, said, for ethical reasons, no longer be a part of this. Um, I'm not going to work, you know, in an environment with guys or leadership, or if you want to call it leadership, I call it like really bad management. Um, I'm not going to work under those conditions and risk everything to include my life um, for, for this. I mean, that's not what I do, and that's not what I'm going to do. And uh, that's when I actually bailed out on it. Um, I, I went there with the objective of taking out real bad guys, um, doing something in the furtherance of, uh, you know, the war on terror. And, uh, and, you know, of course I was going to, I want to get paid for it. And, you know, and I'm not going to sit here and say, well, money wasn't important. Of course it's important. Otherwise, why else would you do it? I didn't have to do it anymore. I've been doing it all my life. Okay. And I decided at the age of 53 to go out there one more time and take a swing at it, you know? Um, but, uh, it was not it was not handled properly. And by the way, AD was uh, um, Golan was already gone. He had already left the country on some other stuff and and uh, didn't know if he was going to come back or not. So we were out in the field with with Isaac basically doing nothing. So but, you were uh, stuck with him spinning our wheels. And, uh, and that's at that point I decided it's time to get out of here. Um, so I'm, I look for the record again. You know, we had legitimate targets. Um, they were real targets, not some we made up. We vetted those targets ourselves as well. Um, we made very, we took extra care to make sure that that's all we're going after is the target guys, real bad guys. There were other bad guys that I was actually more interested in getting, but uh, the sponsor asked us first to go after this guy. The other guy we were going after is the coal bomber, or the guy that were um, uh, planned the coal bombing. Um, he happened to Holy be shit. in a, okay, he's an imam. He was running a school, and what he was doing is running ISIS fighters through his, uh, um, through his school and preparing them to go to Syria. Okay, so this guy was still very much in the game, and that's the guy I really wanted. I wanted that guy first. We, in fact, we all did. Um, but he was on the he was on the target desk, and he was on target deck, and he was going to be one of the next ones. Um, but we had to get this other guy out of the way first. There was a whole history behind him. Um, it's the issues with him. You know, and everybody's like, oh, he's just uh, whatever, you know, he's just a politician. You know, he's a nice guy, whatever. That's bullshit. OK, that's not what the intel said. That's not what his actions said. That's not what all the armed thugs around him said. That's not what Al Qaeda said, hanging around him and protecting his protecting his ass in his office. Well, Dale, okay? I wanted I wanted to dirt. I wanted to follow up on that one point but about the targeting packets. I want to ask you, you know, who did up the targeting packets? There's even a, in the article, there's a slide showing just like we would have seen in, in, in Iraq or Afghanistan you know hvt whatever um i was just wondering who did that who did that up who did the intel work uh the intel piece on this the the emiratis their emirati intel service okay um their mi was involved in this thing at the highest level um they were giving us the, the target packages of course we also vetted them you know we did the best due diligence that we could 
Um, and we wanted to make sure that uh, we're not we're not just going to go out and dunce some dude because he owes, you know, the boss some money or some bullshit. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we want to make sure that they were on the up and up. So we did our we did our homework. We did our due diligence. Um, we, we we took the target packages and through our analysis decided that they're, they're good targets. Um, and so that's that's really how that played out. And that's how, you know, we 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 approached it. We we went we were able to get a source. Um, to provide human force. He was actually very good. Um, you know, he had eyes on, he was very good at reporting. Um, and of course we also had, uh, we also had the drones up, um, that was actually managed by the, uh, the Emirati. So we actually had kept a guy in the, in the drone, uh, whatever you want to call it, the, the station there to monitor, you know, um, the drone footage as it was flying and report back to us. So we had eyes on the objective, um, both from a drone and from human. Uh, we had our own eyes on the objective, um, you know, through, you know, through the, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the piloting room, whatever they call it now. I can't remember, but, uh, you know, it was, again, I want to emphasize this and this was not, we're not a gang of murderers. Um, we're not out killing innocent people. Um, we were very careful not to cause any collateral damage, and uh, you know, and we're doing the right thing. That's the bottom line. We're doing. We were doing the right thing. You know, you can judge us for whatever you want, but uh, you know, we went to do what needed to be done. You know, because look, the terrorists are not going away. I live in Indonesia right now. I'm in Bali. This is where I live. They're here. These guys are coming back here, and they're they're tearing shit up. They're blowing people up. They're killing people. Okay, they're here. Um, these guys are not going to go away. They're just going to keep moving, um, and their objective is never going to change. It's going to be to take take the West out. Um, I'm a soldier, just like these other guys. We're professionals. Um, we're honorable men. We're Americans, and we wanted to do the right thing for our country. We wanted to do the right. That's what we were there for. Um, it wasn't about, let's see how many dudes we could put holes in and have some fun. Hell no. Who, who does that for fun? Okay. This is very dangerous. I mean, literally there was four of us on a street fight with a bunch of Al Qaeda one night with no, no support. Um, we had, we had some legionnaires that came with us, but they were actually off about a, maybe a quarter mile staged away in a QRF in their vehicles, just standing by on call. If we got in some real trouble, we would pull them in to get us out. But that was as good as it was going to get. Uh, we didn't have anything else. We didn't have air support. We didn't have big mill to come in to bail us out. Um, we could have all got smoked out there. And guess what? Nobody in this world would ever know about it. You know, nobody would have ever known about it. Um, so, you know, people call us assassins, mercenaries, whatever. I was a, I was a subcontractor, okay, an independent contractor for another company, an American company, going out and doing what we did, you know, um, conducting military operations. That's what it, that's all, really what it was all about at the end of the day. Dale, about how many operations do you think you guys conducted during the two evolutions, the two deployments that you guys were over there? We didn't do that many. Actually, most of our most of our ops were um, reconnaissance, close target reconnaissance. Um, you know, that was most of it because the truth is, Yemen is a very dangerous place. Um, at least it was back in 2015. There are bad. Literally, you could drive down any MSR. And about every 300 meters, you would hit a checkpoint. That checkpoint was either Al Qaeda, it was either Houthis, it was Yemeni's resistance. Um, it, was, it was, you know, is anybody sketchy who was going to be at the next checkpoint? You know, these guys were operating on the same road, side by side, you know, and they had, I guess, a little truce there, but they were controlling the roads. And basically, we as Americans and uh, the French, you know, we made sure that we hodged it up, that we hid in the back of the vehicle so they couldn't see us. Um, otherwise, it would have been game on. 
But, uh, you know, that's the way we had to travel because it was such a dangerous place. Every day, every night, there were firefights, explosions. Um, probably one of the more dangerous places I've ever been in my life. And so um, we had to be, you know, smart on what we did and how we did it. But because there were so many bad guys out there, it was very hard to get to an objective and, um, and execute without getting compromised before you get there because we had to travel the MSRs. Um, we had some helicopter support for a while there. But uh, the truth is the pilots weren't real excited about landing on an objective and getting out in a firefight. Um, they were more inclined to drop us off at a, uh, you know, <clears throat> off at a distance and uh, we would have to hump it in. So it was, it was very difficult to operate there, but we were able to go do some CTRs, um, surveillance type stuff and, uh, you know, PID targets. In fact, one guy that we were going after was a, uh, he was an ISIS bomb maker. Um, he had a little, what I call a bomb factory in downtown and, uh, he was definitely a guy we wanted to get, and uh, the night before we went to get him, um, the Yemeni's resistance actually took him out. So, you know, there was, a, I mean, there were a lot of guys fighting it out there, good guys and bad guys, you know, and we just happened to be in the mix as well. Um, but again, I'll say that, uh, you know, our objectives and our, you know, our, uh, our intent was honorable, and, uh, you know, we had no intention of hurting innocent people or you know, just randomly targeting people. We made sure we did our job and did our business properly. And so, um, so this whole article thing, you know, again, it's like got me a little chafed because, you know, when I started getting phone calls and people's telling me that they know it's me, I got, you know, I got a little livid about that because now I'm reading people, you know, especially these left wing, you know, nut jobs out there, you know, talking about, you know, doxing, uh, doxing our families, I saw one one uh, guy stated, "Hey, let's dox their families and blow their kid up in the school bus on the way to school." Like, what the hell? It's crazy. You know, um, this is an American, okay? This is an American. Um, and by the way, I got his name and his, his face and everything. I know who he is now. Um, you know, which was stupid on his part, but uh, you know, this is the kind. There's, we're living in very uh, tumultuous and, and, and perilous times right now. You know, with what's going on in our country, and uh, so I don't take stuff like that lightly either. And uh, as I stated in my in my little statement uh, on on the internet, you know I travel a lot. I travel all over the world. I'm I'm very well recognized. I mean, it's, I very rarely do, will I travel to a country where somebody doesn't walk up to me and go, "Hey, you're a you're an American badass," or "Hey, you're a pop star," right? <laughs> Which is cool. I mean, on some it happens level. all the time. You know, it happens all the time. And yeah. so. Um, you know, it's, I am recognized, and so now I've got to actually put extra size on the back of my head, you know, because of this, and, uh, and I don't appreciate it. But, so, Dale, this was all done, you know, and, and so people are asking me, well, why did you come out because your name's not in the article? It didn't have to be in the article. People that know me know my background. Yeah. Um, quite a few are out there um, have, have called, have either called me or called my management team. And uh, they didn't ask if it was me. They stated that it was me. So I know, you know, I'm compromised <laughs> in that regard. Um, and so, like Isaac, like Isaac said, you know, um, he felt like this thing was going to come, you know, out of Pandora's box and he wanted to get in front of it. Well, now the open Pandora's box for me, you know, basically that's what I'm trying to do is stay in front of this whole thing and make sure that this thing doesn't skew, get skewed to the point where um, something that we did that was actually positive and right and honorable um, turns into something, you know, to a witch hunt. And, uh, and, and that's why I'm saying this. And, you know, and moreover, this guy wants to capitalize on it and make money that nobody wanted to do. You know, we're like, Hey, we did our jobs, quiet professionals. Um, we got paid 
and the game is over. Everybody go home and go back to your lives type thing. But this guy, uh, you know, he's got his issues. Um, and anybody in the SEAL community that knows him um, probably can expand on it a lot more than I can. Um, you know, it's not my place really to, to get into all that. But uh, um, all I know is out in the field, um, you know, basically I was the guy running the show on at every level. And not trying to brag or anything like that, but basically what it speaks to is um, – the, the level of incompetence um, and basically, and I, I want to say incompetence, I don't mean that like in a really negative way. Let's, let's say the inexperience, that's probably mm-hmm. a better way. In fact, that was his first firefight that night. That was his first time in combat. Okay. So, you know, the, it was telling as well, you know. So, again, um, it's just his agenda kind of sucks. And, uh, and I think that uh, nobody, you know, the rest of the team doesn't appreciate it. I know they're out there right now. In fact, one of the guys, again, I'm not going to mention his name, although he told me I could. I'm not going to do that unless I really, really have to. But uh, he's actually active duty right now, getting ready to retire. Um, He went from uh, the National Guard. uh, At the time, he was not in service. Um, He was National Guard. Um, Now he went active duty. He actually spent some time in Syria, um, probably like six months or something like that. And, uh, you know, he... uh, so the reporter went to the military, okay, and started asking questions about him. And, uh, you know, and then the military started a CID investigation, um, which in turn has turned into all these other, you know, it's gone all the way up and ch- down the chain of command, probably all the way up to at least State Department level right now. Um, and so this is what this has caused for just the, this, this person alone, man. Um, he's put his, his clearance in jeopardy. Um, his retirement in jeopardy, and it was totally uncalled for. And, uh, you know, in my case, yeah, I'm a civilian now. You know, I know I still fall under UCMJ. Um, I don't think I will. Um, again, you know, I, I didn't do anything as, as far as I'm concerned. I didn't do anything wrong um, or illegal, uh, not, not wittingly anyways. Um, but, you know, I have now I've got to contend with the uh, possible consequences as well. And uh, I'm sure that if, you know, if people dig deep enough and hard enough, they'll be able to uh, – you know, identify the other guys. Hey, hey Dale, out, out of curiosity, when you mentioned people saying, you know, they knew that was you in, in the photo, was that photo out anywhere on the Internet elsewhere? Because what I was wondering is, I mean, on some level, would it have saved you trouble to just say, hey, that's not me and, and move on? Because th- is there a way to prove that it's you? I mean, at this point, you're admitting that it's you, but. Well, you know, you can't prove it, but. Um, I didn't have to prove it when people start calling and they already say it, they know it's me. Um, you know, from, I mean, from the office of government affairs, OGA, all the way to Hollywood, the West coast, the East coast. And they're calling my management team, phone call after phone calls. Like, Whoa. Um, then, you know, then, you know, they know the descriptor, you know, you know, kind of fits me. And, um, and at this point, you know, I feel like, you know, maybe I need to get out there and get ahead of it rather than sure. trying to deny it. Um, because the reality is I can't deny, it. you know, I've got, you know, I got my passport stamp going in on the second evolution. Um, you know, I can't deny that I wasn't, that I wasn't there when in fact I was there, you know? Um, so anyways, it is what it is, but again, you know, I'm confident that, uh, you know, I've done nothing wrong. Try to do the right thing. And, uh, you know, my, my, my past military record, my history, um, you know, I think speaks to that, that I'm an honorable person as well as the other guys. And, um, you know, there was no, no weirdness going on there or anything that, uh, should 
have anybody kind of raise their eyebrows at us, you know. Dale, we, did, uh, we did what people don't have the, the guts to do, basically, you know. Um, I, I did want to ask you, um, how did this whole thing wind down? I mean, how did this contract come to a close? You went over there, you did, there was two deployments, and then uh, how, how did it end? What, what happened? How come this thing isn't still active? I don't know. So, like I said, I left. I literally, literally packed my bags and with another guy, and we both literally just walked out said see ya <laughs> so uh, we made our way back to dubai to abu dhabi i got i made my way back to indonesia and finally back to the u.s um the other guy i don't know where he went somewhere to europe i think maybe back down to south america um but we just walked away and never looked back i never and i never made comms back uh, you know i didn't follow up i was just done you know i went back to my life and just and said let me focus on on my thing and so uh what i understand is that uh, Isaac and Abraham had a falling out. Basically, Abraham fired Isaac, kicked him to the curb, um, and that's how that relationship ended. Why the contract disappeared was probably because um, two of us walked away. They didn't have enough guys out in the field um, to continue mission. Uh, You know, we were down to just a handful of guys out there, you know, and uh, I decided I wanted no more part of it. The way it was being handled was not... uh, when I say handle, I'm not talking about the operations of the missions. I'm just talking about the the uh, management leadership part of it. You know, the the day to day operate, the day to day conduct, um, just sitting around doing nothing. You know, and then it just it just got to be too much. And I realized that you know what, I don't have to I don't have to do this anymore. Um, you know, I, I did my time in the army and uh, the hurry up and wait game. And I said, I'm out of here. I got I got more important things to do. And I wasn't happy with, uh, you know, the leadership and uh, the way I was talked to or treated. Um, and uh, even there, there's, there's, some, there's some stuff on the backside that I won't get into here. But uh, um, I believe that at the end of the day, um, part of the reason I was I left and was kind of nudged out, so to speak, was because the other person uh, that was left behind felt like maybe I'm trying to take his, his job, which I essentially had taken his job um, just by proxy because that's why I was hired to be there. And because uh, the, the, the guy didn't have the leadership traits um, nor the respect of the guys that follow him anywhere. Um, they wouldn't follow him to the goddamn shitter if, if, if he needed them to go with him. And I'm told, this is where I'm going to do it. Um, and, I, and I was just tired of it. So, you know, it becomes a point in life where you just got to, you know – you just got to kind of look at your principles and go, okay, you know, is this, is this really, is this really what it's all about? Is this what it's worth, you know, to do this kind of garbage or can I move on to something of my own again and just kind of put this behind me? Um, so, it, it, you know, for the most part, I would say operationally, it was a success. Um, you know, even if we didn't, even if we didn't take out the target, you know, execution, you know, all aspects of that were successful and we're done properly but you know what you don't get them every time you know even in the military i mean goddamn how many times you go on an operation you know and it's, it's a dry, dry hole, hole yeah. you know you get intel said yeah. oh 80 hvt's there and you show up and it's like man he ain't been here in two weeks you know so um you know that's just how it that's just how it works man you know that's just how war fighting is and then this whole thing about blah 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 not surgical ied you know come on really you know when i was when i was in iraq or afghanistan i wrote a um 
Akana um, for the people I was working for. Shout out to the chain of command. And what I wanted to do, I said, look, you know, you look at military, particularly in Afghanistan, what do they do? They roll out of the front gate of their fob, they roll down the road in their vehicles, and they get ambushed, right? They're always rolling the ambushes. Then they're trying to fight off the trucks and then take casualties. They got to go back and patch everybody up. Um, you know, and my, my attitude's always been, you know, you, and if you want to beat this insurgency, you got to think like insurgents. You got to fight like insurgents. You got to fight UW, unconventional warfare. You got to turn into the guerrillas. Um, this is what special forces are supposed to do in special operations. Um, and so my idea was, you know, let's, let's turn the table on these guys and do to them what they're doing to us. Why don't we build some VBIDs and park them out in front of the Pakistan, in the in front of the compounds of the, of the bad guys, particularly that are hiding out in Pakistan? Um, I said, why don't we do that? And, and I actually had a concept to um, basically I call it my monster garage. I was going to build some trucks, um, pack them with explosives, you know, conceal everything, pre-position them in, you know, in, in certain areas at safe houses and then roll them out, drive them in front of some bad guy's house. And then when he comes out to check his mail, vaporize him. <laughs> and I said, I said this whole <laughs> well, I set this whole con up, up, right? It comes back and it comes back with bread ink. We're not in the business of making VBIDs. And I'm like, you know, you freaking idiot, right? So I wrote back. I go, I'm sorry. Did I say VBID? I mean, real explosive delivery system. That sounds any better, you monkeys, right? <laughs> this is the kind of crap we're dealing with. You know, my con ops were getting approved by some chick in an office in Kabul, right? My con ops in the field. And then it would take three, four, five days for her to come back. Going, I don't know, you know. Like, what do you not know? You know, you're sitting behind a desk. Of course, you don't know. But this is what we're dealing with: the, the this whole political and bureaucratic process, you know, and bullshit. And people wonder why, you know. Um, and then everybody questions, you know. Like even this article was questioning, um, you know, the legitimacy of using, you know, mercenaries, you know. Um, you know, private paramilitary companies to go do this stuff. You know, what happened to the, you know, the military doing these kind of things? Well, you know what, America, you put so many goddamn restrictions on the, on the, our military, you know, and rules of engagement. All they can do is get in their trucks and drive to an ambush. You know, I mean, we, we hamstring our own military. You know, the whole rules of engagement thing has gotten ridiculous. I mean, another classic example is, you know, you can't interrogate people. Um, you know, now you got me on a roll, by the way. <laughs> got down on a, on a tangent here. I like it, though. That's I love okay. it, man. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's like uh, the rules of engagement. You know, you can't, can't interrogate anybody anymore, man. You know, and this was old McCain came up with this stupid, this stupid garbage, right? And so what ended up happening was the bad guys – um, they got smart. They go, oh, they can't interrogate me, right? So when we would go to r roll them up, if we didn't kill them, um, the first question they would ask is, are you arresting me as a criminal or as a terrorist? And they were hoping you said terrorist, right? Because if, that, if you were arresting them as a terrorist, that means they got to spend three days in your fob, eating good food, warm blankie, you know, and they didn't have to say a word, not going to get beat up, nothing bad's going to happen to them, and then we're going to send them with all their gear back home, right? That's how it works. But if you arrest them as a criminal, that means you're going to hand them over to the, to the uh, Afghan police. Ooh. That was going to be a bad night for them. Um, <laughs> it, and they probably wouldn't see the daylight again for a long time, right? They feared that kind of crap. And, uh, and they knew the game. They knew we weren't going to interrogate them. Um, you know, I mean, interviewing was like, was just ridiculous. It's like, you know, it was like a job interview. I mean, you know, they're not going to tell you the truth. It was, it was counterproductive. And the problem was with that is a lot of times there was critical information, intelligence that we needed like right now that uh, we couldn't get because we couldn't interrogate them. I can tell you going back, uh, uh, you know, a ways when we were in Iraq, 
And uh, and we, you know, if you want to call it an interrogation, look, I've been through worse interrogations in Sear School than what was going on over there. Basically, these guys would crumble if you just kind of yelled at them. Um, you know, I mean, they're pissing their pants because they thought you were going to question and you didn't have to do anything. But, you know, Fletch and they and they, they tell you the whole life story. But, uh, you know, we used to get information, useful information. We used to locate uh, IDs on the side of the road because of that. And we saved as far as I'm concerned, we saved American coalition lives. Um, they took that, that they took that ability away from us. That was and that was McCain who took it away from us. OK. Um, he was the big mouth, the big advocate for that. And I have no respect for the guy. Everybody said, oh, he's a whore here. Well, I'm bull-loney, man. Um, he, as far as I'm concerned, he's probably responsible for a lot of dead Americans right now because of his, his, uh, the, the policy that he, uh, that he basically enforced. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when, when people go, well, what, you know, mercenary, 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 like it's some kind of a bad thing. You know, all we are, yeah, we're professional soldiers. Um, we decided to help a, co- a coalition army friends of ours, all right, to do the same thing that we did while we were in the military, and that is fight terrorists, fight the war on terrorists, man, um, you know, and that's it. I mean, so that's do, it. Do you, you know, see this uh, private, as a private military contractor? I mean, do you see this as a, a – um let's say a viable strategy to fight terrorism worldwide, because I think that's kind of at the heart of this article and what the, what the author of the article is questioning. Um, and I think you've given your take on a lot of it. Um, but how do you see the, is, is this like um, Eric Prince, for instance, is proposing that we'd kind of do this, expand this model all across Afghanistan. I mean, what, what do you make of that? What do you think of that? Of somebody who kind of worked where the rubber meets the asphalt? Yeah. You know, and so, okay, I can see where this can get out of hand where you can get, you know, groups out there that just go rogue, right? And yeah. just start, you know, <laughs> their Colonel Kurtz up the river just hammering everybody, you know, and they just lose, you know, all sense of responsibility, you know, and, and just do what the hell they want. I can see the problem, you know, how that can be problematic. Uh, I think if it can be controlled and, you know, and you can actually have organizations that are um, operating under the same kind of rules and disciplines that the military would be expected then I think it's viable. In fact, um, as a as a as a now as a civilian, um, I would gladly do that. You know, fill that role, and with the understanding that, you know, if I get killed, I get killed. There's no there's not going to be an SGLI life insurance bullet, uh, money for me. Um, if I get shot and blown up out there, you know, I'm not going to have big mill come and pull me out. I'm not going to have you know all this other stuff, um, or maybe I will, but. I'm, I'm willing to go out there just as a, uh, an independent contractor, a mercenary, if that's what you want to call me, call me I don't care, um, and go out there and do what needs to be done and take that risk. That's why I get paid the big bucks. Um, I'm, I'm the guy that's willing to go do that. And, you know, the truth is America needs guys like me. They need guys like they were willing to do this kind of stuff. You know, other countries need it. And, of course, they need it. That's why they called us because they didn't have that within they didn't have that capability within that's why they asked us to come and uh and do this for them we brought a capability that didn't have you know and the way i looked at it we all looked at it, it was like hey you know what we're helping a fellow nation um take care of bad guys just the same bad guys that americans are interested in in fact so much so because while i was there um i, re- I still remember when i saw eric prince land in our compound that was after the big firefight um, that he was in, um, his company was in with the Saudis on the board. I think he lost 12 guys with Colombians one night. Um, and he showed up the next day on a helicopter. Now, I don't know if he knew we were there or not. We, we basically hid behind the sandbags. Um, and then and then I watched JSOC come in or some element from the military come in. 
And, uh, you know, and so I, the writing was on the wall. The, the U.S. mill was going to come in. They're, they're coming in. They're, they're already here. Um, you know, so I know there were some things that were going on. I couldn't say exactly what they're going to do or when they're going to come in. But, uh, you know, now they're, you know, there's there's a lot of activity over there still. Um, you know, it's a hornet's nest. I mean, you got everybody fighting everybody. Um, you've got the Iranian-backed Houthis. Um, you've got, you know, the Saudis over there. Um, you've got the Houthis, uh, uh, the Yemenis resistance, you've got ISIS, you've got ACAP, um, you got the Muslim Brotherhood, you know, um, you got a lot of, you got a lot of bad ca- uh, cats over there, you know, and, um, and if we don't deal with it, it's just going to be another, you know, if it doesn't get fixed, eventually it's going to become another Afghanistan where it becomes a training uh, platform for, you know, future global terrorists that might emerge from that. Um, so, you know, to answer your question again, you know, I, I think it's I think it's viable at a small scale, but it's going to have to be closely monitored and managed because I can see guys, yeah. you know, yeah. we, we see it in the military. Guys are always, you know, or not in the military, but now, you know, working for these PMCs that go overseas, they go work for whatever company and uh, they totally lie about their, their resume, right? Their DD-214 is all bullshit. I mean, guys go over there, literally never been in the military, and they're running security details and have everybody believing they're a SEAL. SEALs seem, seems to be the famous thing to do is tell everybody you're a SEAL, right? I think I've met like, you know, 20,000 SEALs already. I, don't, I only <laughs> thought there was like, like 700 or something like that, but I'm pretty sure I met at least 20,000 already. Uh, everybody's a SEAL, you know, and, and of course, every SEAL's a, you know, dev group guy, you know, and whatever. But uh, so, you know, unfortunately, you know, it's that way, but, uh, you know, I think in certain circumstances, if it's if it's properly managed, you know, maybe under the auspices of uh, or the direction of the government, um, like in this case, for example, you know, um, Spear Operations Group was working under the auspices or the control of the Emirati government. And actually, there were other governments involved, too. Um, he kind of alluded to that a little bit. In the, the, the Aussies are over there a lot, aren't they? I'm sorry. The Australians are over there quite a bit, aren't they? You know what? While we were there, I don't think there was anybody We're losing you a little bit. I think it's, you know, as Dale said before, he's, he's over in Indonesia. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, the, the connection can get a bit screwed up. I think we got you back. The Frenchies and Americans. I don't. If if we disconnect with Dale, I'll try to reconnect for uh, a second. Let's see if we get him back. Can you hear me now? Yes. yes. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. All right. All right. I'm back. <laughs> uh, you, uh, I was just uh, talking about uh, Australians working with the Emiratis, and you were saying no, there's some, something else. I, I don't remember seeing any. That doesn't mean they're not there. I just didn't see them. Um, definitely didn't see them in country. Um, you know, but that was a scenario where the Emirati government was kind of. Uh, you know, the the, uh, the reporter used the word masters. You know, I, I kind of find that a little uh, stupid to say that. You know, they're not, they weren't our masters, okay? Um, they were our clients. They were our sponsors, so to speak. But, uh, you know, there was there was a chain of management there, a chain of command, you know, um, right on down to the company. Um, Spear Operations Group was awarded. Um, guys were, I mean, given rank, um, uniforms. And uh, so I feel like there was there was some control there still because we did have someone to answer to. Um, it wasn't like we we're just answering to God, you know, or ourselves. We actually had to answer to 
the Minister of Defense, um, you know, and to the uh, uh, Emirati government and, uh, and right on up the food chain. So, um, so in that regard, you know, we look, why would we go out and just start smoking everybody for a, um, this was a major contract, major, major, major contract, hundreds of millions of dollars. So why would we jeopardize that by going out and just laying waste to everybody? Okay, even the Emiratis would have been like, hey, dude, we didn't hire you to be murderers, okay? And uh, they would have pulled that contract in a second. That's not how it works, okay? We, there was an incentive for us, you know, a monetary incentive to keep it safe, okay, and do the right thing. Of course, you know, there's a political reason for that as well. And uh, as far as I'm concerned and the other guys, there was a moral reason to do it, to do it properly as well. Um, we are not... We're not murderers, okay, by far. We're not murderers. Um, we're soldiers. We're professionals, and we did a professional job as far as I'm concerned. One thing I wanted to follow up with you on, and, and I mean, maybe you know nothing about this, Dale, but it, it's uh, in the article about this uh, former SEAL named Corbett who uh, apparently went to Serbia with Golan and got hemmed up over there and is still in prison. I was just wondering if you knew anything more about that. Um, I wasn't there, so I don't know what happened there or the circumstances behind it, but I do know, I do know Dan. Um, and, uh, he is quite a character and, uh, he's the guy you want on your left or right side. If you get in a firefight, that's for sure. But, um, I was not there when all that happened to him. Like I said, I walked out of the desert and I never looked back. Um, those guys continued whatever they were doing. I guess they ended, I don't know, Dan ended up in Serbia. I'm pretty sure he didn't go over there on vacation. So, um, you know, he got there somehow. But I don't know. I don't. I really don't know the details because I've never, I've never really followed up with those guys. And uh, you know, I've I've had a very limited communication with Abraham. He's doing his own thing wherever he's doing it. And uh, you know, the way I look at it, the past is the past. You know, I got yeah. you know, I got my own business, my own life to, to worry about now. So that's what I do. Worry about that. Well, Dale, we really appreciate you coming on the show today and, uh, you know, I mean, really putting yourself out there in some ways um, Absolutely, man. to tell this story, to tell your side of it, um, to get the other, the other side of the story out. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about, you know, what you're doing in Indonesia, what, um, about your, the security company that you're running now and some of your current activities? Yeah. You know, so I, I came, so back in time a little bit, about six years ago, I went to Hong Kong, um, I was over there actually working for the same guy, um, Abraham and his company, um, running a security detail for a very, very wealthy um, investment banker. And then um, anyways, I ended up going from there, coming to Indonesia, and uh, I came here to visit my girlfriend, basically. And then uh, after hanging around for a while, I saw that there were some opportunities for security here. Uh, there were no other American companies here other than one pulling some security out of like a gold mine. But uh, not definitely not in my space. So anyways, I decided to uh, make a real long story short, um, start a company here. And uh, I got involved in a, a canine. So I'm in Bali right now and I provide explosive detector dogs, uh, interdiction nice. dogs for the ho- resort hotels here. Um, I've already I'm already expanding the business throughout Southeast Asia. Um, this is what I do, man. I, I go out and I play with dogs all day and, and they go find bombs and stuff. And and uh, I'm mean, living in Bali, living the dream. So. Um, it doesn't get any better than that, you know. <laughs> I've, I've heard the scuba well, diving. Uh, desert of Yemen, I can tell you that. I've heard the scuba diving out there is badass, just like the best in the world. Yeah, you know it's beautiful here. I mean, it's really clean. Um, water's clean. There's a lot of things you can do here. You know, whatever you're into, fishing, scuba diving, man, whatever, man. It's it's all here. There's so much to do. 
on this little island, and uh, it really is a little piece of heaven. You know, I've been to, I keep telling people, I've been to over 77 countries in my life, either worked there, traveled there, or lived there, and uh, by far, Bali is my favorite place. Bali and Hong Kong, but for sure, if I had to live between the two, I would live in Bali, and which I'm doing, obviously. Um, but that's what I'm doing here, so I'm running a security company. Uh, I'm still involved in some other things. I'm writing another book. Um, you know, I'm still involved in the movies and, and, uh, you know, I got my hand in a lot of other projects and I don't want to give up too much stuff, but, uh, there's, I'm still busy. And, um, one of the things I really enjoy doing that I do now, been doing it for about a year on my own time is, um, optimal performance coaching. So I have a lot of clients that come to me and they want to know, you know, how to be a badass. And, uh, and so, uh, I have to correct them. It's not about being a badass. It's about being a good ass. And, uh, and, <laughs> but what I do is I'm, I mentor and coach people on uh, peak performance, you know, um, you know, I give them my perspective on life and, and how I arrived to where I am today and was able to you know, achieve as many things as I have done. Um, and I kind of give them, you know, my secret sauce, so to speak, um, the formula for success. So works pretty good. I actually have a guy right now that's uh, an international speaker. He's also a coach. Um, he is ranked as in the one top 1% of income earners in the world. And uh, he's actually one of my clients. He comes to me for coaching, which is really cool. Um, so, you know, it's doing okay. I, I do it on my own time. Um, it gives me, I fill the gap in my, you know, my free time, which I don't have any. I sleep about four hours a night. But I enjoy doing that, and I enjoy helping other people, you know, and uh, trying to help them improve their lives. So um, that's kind of where I'm at and what I'm doing now. I still have a place in Panama City Beach, Florida. Mine actually didn't get wiped out, my home, uh, by the okay. hurricane. Um, it's actually still standing and, uh, I was going to go back, but I actually have a friend, him and his family, uh, they lost their home. And so Damn. I basically let them move into my apartment. So they're staying in my apartment until they get on their feet. And then once they're gone, I'll come back. Um, but I do travel back and forth between Florida and, and Bali about every three to four weeks, um, to see my little girl, my baby girl back in Florida and then come back here and, you know, see my, my girl here and baby girls here and dogs here. So I got two lives. <laughs> two sides of the world. So Dale, I, I um, love that I love that video that's on YouTube of uh you from like the early nineties with Jim West. Oh yeah. Uh, training, you know, <laughs> by doing those demonstrations in that bar and it's so funny. You look at the comments there, they're like, Is that Dale Comstock? And it is hard to believe it's you. Like you look like a totally yeah. different person at that point. I was a little gangly nerd. I was about <laughs> 160 pounds. Um <laughs> and uh, I was there with Jim. We were, I still remember the bar and everything, the, the whole scene and everything. And then uh, Remo Butler, General Butler, yeah. he was also, um, and a girl named Judy Mayran. She at the time she was a captain in the Air Force. So it was the four of us, and we went there and uh, and we made that uh, <clears throat> we made that series, um, which was kind of cool. It was a lot of fun, you know. And I still work for that company, by the way. In fact, uh, I produced quite a few uh, training DVDs through them at FightFast.com. Yeah, Jim and, does uh, a lot through them still. I'm sorry. Jim Jim still does a lot through them. Yeah, I've actually made quite a few products through them, and uh, in fact, I've just made another series of uh, uh, DVDs on uh, training canines from Soup to Nuts. Nice. Um, so that should cool. probably be coming out in about the next four weeks, four to six weeks. It took me almost a year to make it all, um, but uh, that's coming out. I've got my uh, bulletproof backpack. Um, it's been selling really well for about the last years. And we're coming with a uh, coming up with a new version of that, um, a new improver. But, uh, so I've got you know I've got quite a few plots in there. So these are the types of things I'm still working on, you know. And I do that because one, I like making things, and uh, I like teaching, and and moreover, you know, it's uh, residual income, you know. So 
Um, I have money coming in, and I don't even have to do any more work. I just do all the work up front, which, you know, it's not a bad way to live. It's, you know, it allows me to stay here in Bali anyways. I dig it, man. And if you guys want to follow Dale on Twitter, it's at Dale Comstock. Instagram, at Official American Badass. The first book you put out was American Badass, The True Story of a Modern Day Spartan. That's actually how I met Dale when he was out promoting that at Sirius. Um, the, the previous episodes you were on, as Jack said, if you want to go back and visit Dale's history, episodes 22 and 24, which is before I was even here. It's like five years ago. It's, it's been a while. It's hard to believe, Dale. We're now almost at episode 400. <laughs> so 22 wow. and 24, that's a while yeah. back. And like, we got to have you back on for something just like positive going on in your yeah, life. I mean, yeah. It's great to have you on for this type of thing. But like, don't be a stranger. We love having you on, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on here, man. Give me an opportunity to kind of, you know, give my uh, my side of the story because uh, what's really important to me, again, I want to emphasize it's, you know, I don't want people out there thinking that, uh, you know, we're a bunch of cowboys, that we didn't know what we're doing, um, that we're out wrecking people's lives, you know, that we're reckless. That's not what we did. Um, we were all consummate professionals, um, you know, and we did the right and responsible thing. And uh, we made sure that, you know, we were going after legitimate targets, and that was it. So, um, you know, people go, oh, it's about the money. Well, I can tell you what, it's not about the money because, you know, I can make money doing a lot of other things. Um, hell, didn't I just say I have a security company in Indonesia? So, you know, <laughs> it's not all about the money. The money just it pays for my time, but really it was the mission. The mission is to win the war on terrorism, man. That's it. And that's saving people's lives. That's what it all comes down to for me. And uh, and I can tell you, that's what the other guys were thinking. They feel the same way I do. And and by the way, these guys, um, I don't know if they'll, their names will ever come out, although they've given me permission to, to speak, um, you know, on their behalf and mention their names. Um, you know, they're all consummate professionals. I mean, they're the kind of guys that you would expect, you know, in the military, when you're on a special operations team, you know, the, everybody that pulls their weight, they take care of each other. They'll take a bullet for each other. Um, there's no shenanigans except for that one guy that we've, we've already talked about. Um, the, you know, there's a true brotherhood there. And to this day, there's still that bond between us. Um, and so, you know, we have one person that really disrespected that. And, uh, and I'm, you know, and that's why I'm here today because, um, you know, I, I don't appreciate it and I don't appreciate, uh, you know, the drama that some of us are going to have to go through. And I feel for the other guy in the military. Um, and who's, who knows what's still, you know, what's still going to come. But uh, um, I'm confident that we didn't do anything wrong. Um, so, you know, that's how I feel about it. And, and if people want to judge us, well, you know, go up, go for it. You know, it doesn't, when you pay my bills, then uh, maybe I'll be concerned about it. <laughs> Dale, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been fascinating to say the least. Yeah, and there'll be more coming out. Um, you know, I gave you the Reader's Digest version. Yeah. So, um, you know, <laughs> there was a lot of good things happened too, you know. So it wasn't always, you know, it wasn't just a negative thing. Um, there was a, some really good positives that came out of it. And uh, I'm sure that uh, that story will come out eventually as well, you know, in more detail. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, Appreciate it, man. Like, like I so said, our, our door is always open. So you hit us up anytime. All right, man. Well, thanks again for having me out here. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dale. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. And that on that end, um, man, great, 
great interview. There, with, there, there's uh, a story you don't hear every day. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that he gave <laughs> us that exclusive is is excellent. And, you know, it, it's important to get at least what he would say is the true story out there. And, you know, I'm sure that there's going to be other yeah. guys who will come out and maybe dispute some of this stuff. But this is this is Dale's perspective. Yeah, yeah. It's Dale's perspective. It's uh, from his point of view. And I mean, I don't say this to, to undermine anything Dale said. It's just that um, there are things that probably the ground pounders, the shooters like Dale probably weren't told. Um, there were probably, and just in a firefight, different people see different things from different perspectives. So it will be interesting to see, as Dale said, you know, more stuff will probably come out about this and it'll be interesting to see how all that pans out. Um, I think Dale is pretty candid though, about his role in it and, yeah. and what he experienced. Um, like I said, man, that's a story you don't hear every day. I mean, that, that's some wild, wild shit over there. Yeah, I, I want to recap a little bit more, but as always, I do want to let you know what we have going on here at Hurricane Media. Uh, first of all, I want to mention the Crate Club, the long-anticipated collaboration watch we did with NFW Watches. That's in the next premium crate. Everything is being shipped out right now as we speak. Um, we have different tiers of membership depending on how prepared you want to be. Gift options are available. And Scott Whitner and the guys are just working on some great stuff. It's a club for men, by men. Currently, we have uh, sunglass cases coming out, EDC bags, and all custom products uh, for 2019 on the horizon. So that's CrateClub.us if you want to join. Interestingly enough, as Dale mentioned, dog training. We do have a partnership with Kuna. Uh, and with Kuna, they have a team of trained canine handlers picking out a box for your dog each month of healthy treats and training aids. It's custom built for your dog's size and age as well. doesn't matter what type of dog you have. Kuna is going to hook you up. So it's efficient for you. Your dog's going to appreciate it as well. And that's spelled C-U-N-A dot D-O-G. Also, the Spec Ops channel. Uh, if you want to watch all those inside the team rooms, uh, all the old inside the team rooms we've done, Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, Green Berets, cut from the same cloth, the new intelligence one, it's all on there, as well as our premiere show training cell, um, where you'll see guys training in all different conditions, def- different operators from different branches. Um, and you can take advantage of a 50% off your membership uh, for only $4.99 a month. That's at specopschannel.com. Specopschannel.com. The SoftRep radio app is now up if you have an iPhone. So check that out. Um, I think I know you're an Android guy. I think the Android version should be up in the next coming days. SoftRepRadio.com is up. We're doing these um, recordings on video that some of you are watching. Those are up on YouTube, on the SoftRep YouTube channel. Um, but like I said, it was it was interesting to have Dale on for the first time in ages. I mean, we did have him on really briefly um, at an inside the team room years ago, but it's just been way too long. And, you know, you don't want someone on in these circumstances where they're under high pressure. And, yeah, yeah. And y- y- I do think it's a high pressure situation. I mean, there's a reason why, in my opinion, you know, Dale kept repeating, I don't think we did anything wrong because I do think he's feeling stress. Yeah, of- yeah. I mean, I saw an article, uh, was it this morning or was it last night? Um, and it was uh, written by a, uh, you know, one of these national defense lawyers and he was saying DOJ needs to prosecute all of these guys. I'm like holy shit you know and and there's there you know the term war crimes is thrown around and um i i, I cannot you know speak to you know whether or not what happened there was illegal 
But I'll tell you this much. I mean, you get into some gray areas very quickly. And um, I've had conversations with a lawyer who specializes in dealing with the ITARs and private military companies overseas. And I, I was asking him questions. I was like, so, you know, if someone's to go overseas and, um, you know, provide training to this or that, you know, organization or, or a militia in Syria, is that is that illegal? And the answer, this is the best answer he could possibly give, was as long as it doesn't violate any norms, you should be okay. Now, yeah, okay, should be okay, but also, what the fuck is a norm? Yeah. Um, and I understand what norms are. We talk about that, you know, uh, in, in college, you know, when you study political science, you know, about political norms and social norms and so forth. Well, war is not. But yeah. if you get prosecuted, if someone decides to prosecute, you're being charged in a court of law, not a court of norms. And you look at the judge and say, well, I didn't violate any norms. He's going to be like, I don't fucking care. They say, we're not talking about norms. We're talking about the law. So there are a lot of gray areas. And, um, Honestly, it's it's also incumbent on our government to be clear about where the lines are and what's right and what's wrong and what gets prosecuted and what doesn't. And as long as you, you have a guy like Eric Prince who's running around the world, um, it seems like he does basically whatever the fuck he wants. And he hasn't been prosecuted. DOJ hasn't brought any charges against him. So, I mean, if what they're doing is they're sending the message is, okay, that's the new norm. Yeah. That's what's normal now is that you can go and do that. So of course, you know, when this guy, uh, Abraham Golan and Dale Comstock are like, well, why can't we do this? You know, everyone else is doing it. Right. So that, then it becomes a norm. So, and now you have to distinguish between a norm versus the law. And if the law, if you have a law, but it isn't being enforced, then what use is it? And what does it really mean? So these are all these gray areas that exist, and um, it's anything but clear. I'm assuming every guy who is on this operation must be just furious with this seal right now because yeah. this would have gone completely unreported, would have gone completely under the radar, if not for this guy probably. Well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're just, and I think we commented on this last time, that it's just harder and harder to hide these types of things when we live in a, a, such a technological world where everyone has a, a camera phone in their pocket that's connected to a digital network. Um, I mean, maybe it would have come out, maybe it wouldn't have, but, you know, uh, really the, the part that would chat my ass is that, you know, he gave up the names of all the other guys and their pictures and everything else. They're like, that's kind of crossing some lines. I mean, it's, although it's one that face, it, it's didn't one give up the name of Dale. He did to the journalist. Okay. And the journalist chose not to publish those names. Uh, now it's one thing to go to a journalist, I suppose, or a Hollywood producer and say, this is what I did. And this is what I experienced. But it's another thing to say, okay, I went there and I was also with this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. And here's their, here's their pictures. I mean, that's something totally different. Yeah, absolutely. But nonetheless, they must be absolutely furious with him, I would think. Um, especially if, as Dale was saying, that it was being done for like fame, Hollywood type of. It's such a seal thing to do. <laughs> that, that would be the stereotype, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but no. And, and you know what? I, actually, I was going to say, I do um, encourage everybody to read the full BuzzFeed article. And then there's also the video on there. And the the drone footage from the operation that Dale was talking about where he was putting the IED on the door. But people are wondering, is that Dale? That is Dale. That is, okay. Dale. That, not, that is Dale on the drone footage placing the charge on the door. Yeah. And if you go to the BuzzFeed article and you watch that drone footage, the guy running to the door is Dale. 
So if you go to softrepradio.com, I know I can't attach articles on um, you know all the apps, but if you li- if you read the full article attached to this episode at softrepradio.com, I will link to the BuzzFeed article, or you can just look up the uh, title and it should come right up, which is Monarchy Hired uh, American, a-, a Middle East Monarchy Hired American Ex-Soldiers to Kill Its Political Enemies. Could This Be the Future of War? It's by Ram Rostin. Um, so give it a look. I mean, I'm not... I, we ha- we have nothing attached to this article, but I think it's worth people reading. It's very in depth, um, and you know, after listening to that interview, if you haven't read it already, you might want it. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I don't think Dale and the author of this article are necessarily disputing um, the facts of what had happened as much as they're disputing the context and the morality of it. And and I would also disagree with the author of the article. Some of the things he says about private military contractors and mercenaries, I mean, he, he, he blurs a lot of lines and it's not a very nuanced argument that he makes. I mean, in, in some senses he conflates, um, you know, being a mercenary like in like these guys were with being a private security contractor working for the United States government. Say you're working for um, you're a ground branch or a GRS CIA contractor. You are working for the U.S. government. And it's, it's just not the same thing as being a mercenary working for a foreign power in a third country conducting direct action operations. I mean, these are just I understand like it confuses the public sometimes. But there's just a world of difference between these two types of contracting. Well, you know, give it a read. Hope you guys appreciate um, this episode. Loved having Dale on. We will definitely have Dale back on. Leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, as we always mentioned. Um, and then the the last thing I wanted to mention, actually, is we've had on Phil Abonte from All That Remains, mm-hmm. and uh, yesterday we heard about the death of their guitar player, uh, oh, Ollie Herbert. Uh, so rest in peace to Ollie. And I saw Phil posting about it on Instagram, and, and just it wasn't even like memorial stuff. He was just like, fuck, this day sucks with the picture of his, you know, longtime guitar player. The They were the two founders of the band All That Remains, and uh, we all have having Phil on here, so it just sucks to hear that news. Uh, and then, you know what else I was going to say? I am no longer going to tease out who the next guest is, because every time we've done it, the past few shows, we've been wrong. Yeah. So we're going to have the Authors of Like War, which we are going to have one of the Authors of Like War um, a week. For, I, I should say, because it might change. Yeah. A week from today. You know, we were supposed to have uh, my wife, your on, wife Benny, on, and then we we changed that. My my wife, just I mean, came, well, Benny's great, but she does come second to Dale Comstock in a this time is, like this. This is this is breaking pretty news. urgent. Yeah. yeah, this is breaking, and, and Benny was actually kind of happy because she's still jet lagged from the coming back from Italy. Yeah, so, so we'll have her <laughs> she on. was happy to hand it off to Dale. <laughs> yeah, I think sometime either the day of or before the premiere of her film, which is on uh, November fifteenth. Yeah, yeah we'll I am the revolution. Uh, very psyched to see it. I, I hope to be at the premiere. Uh, and then I also teased out uh, that we we're going to have a certain general on. I, I guess I could mention it now. I mean, General McChrystal's people reached out. We thought we'd get General McChrystal on, and it's just like I've been going back and forth with them, and he's going to be in the city. And then they're like, oh, he can't do this date, maybe a phoner in the future. And I gave them a bunch of dates, and they're like, well, he can't do those. So I don't know. Maybe we're, we're not in, important enough. That, that's what I think it is. Maybe in the future, General McChrystal, I mean, I'd love to have him on the podcast. They sent out books to us. Um, 
And I went back and forth for about a month to get them on. So I was kind of confident that we would. And, you know, sometimes these things fall through. So uh, I would I'd be happy to have them on, of course, uh, who wouldn't be. But this was excellent. Um, and I'm sure we'll have Dale back on as Dale said he's working on a new book. So um, and, and his last book was kind of short, as you mentioned. Yeah. I so. mean, Dale is a busy, busy bee. <laughs> he gets into so many things. Yeah. All right. Well, our episodes are now on Spotify. The app is up once again, softrepradio.com. We have the Facebook page up. Uh, so if you look up Softrep Radio, you'll see it there. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. I read them all. And I'm sure we'll be back next episode and getting some emails. So shoot those over, softrep.radio at softrep.com. For myself and Jack Murphy, we're out, guys. Thanks. Listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.